you can just think of it as like, it's all the great things that are happening with exercise, but it's happening in a more intense way repeatedly. And so you're getting a more potent hormetic response over time. So you have, you know, increased perfusion of the brain, you have decreased inflammation, more neurogenesis, and then um, improved cognition and decreased incidence of disease. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché-Urcuyo, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, my husband, Dr. Danny, and I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of our Pursuing Health pearls. In medicine, we refer to clinical pearls as small bits of freestanding information relevant to clinical practice, usually based on experience. Pursuing Health Pearls are shorter episodes in which Danny and I offer you succinct, high-yield info on common health conditions or other topics. We do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. With that, let's get started with this week's episode. Hey guys, this is a very special edition of the Pursuing Health Pearls featuring a recorded talk that I did recently at the Wild Health Brain Optimization Summit in September in Lexington, Kentucky. This was an interview style talk with the Wild Health co-founders, Dr. Matt Dawson and Dr. Mike Mallon. And after the talk, we did a burpee challenge, one minute on, one minute rest for five rounds, which is part of the recording. So feel free to join in with us on that too, if you'd like. This was a really fun conference, and they're planning to hold another similar conference in the spring that I do plan to participate in as well on athletic optimization. So stay tuned for details on that in the coming months. I'm also excited to share more with you about Matt and Mike when I interview them in next week's episode. So stay tuned for that as well. And as always, I appreciate so much all of you who have supported the podcast as Pursuing Health subscribers. So if you haven't yet, You can learn more about becoming a subscriber at pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe. For less than $5 a month, you can support the podcast while receiving access to workout programs, exclusive discount codes, and live monthly Q&A sessions. It's really important to me to continue to deliver great content here without the influence of sponsors and your support makes it all possible. So again, that's pursuing-health.com forward slash subscribe to learn more. Thanks so much. We're going to roll right into our next talk with Dr. Julie Fouché Arcuyo. Uh, Julie, you all probably know as one of the fittest women in the world. She's been at the CrossFit, exaggerating, so, so literally. So she's on the podium multiple times at the CrossFit Games, which means by definition, you are one of the top three fittest women in the world being on the podium there at the CrossFit Games. Um, She's talking to us today, not because of that, but because she's also a brilliant functional medicine and family medicine trained physician. So we're obviously wanting to combine the two uh, and really talk about how high intensity interval training affects the brain because it has really massive effects on the brain, which I'll let uh, Julie talk about as well. But I guess the, the way to start, Julie, is just probably the definition. Most of us probably know, but, but what is high intensity interval training? What is HIIT training exactly? Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. I'm not very loud. Okay. Have done some sort of HIIT training before. 
pretty much everybody. Right. And who's doing it now on a regular basis. It's something that you incorporate pretty regularly. Okay. Does anyone have like a favorite hit style workout or protocol that you like to use that you want to share? Tabata, you said, love it. Okay. So Tabata is 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest. So that's a pretty short interval. Does anyone have, and what kind of movements do you do with that? Awesome. So lots of, lots of functional movements. So you, you know, a lot of times we think about HIIT training as, as being more endurance exercise, but you can apply it to really any type of movement. So does anyone have any other go-to HIIT training workout that they really like? Yeah. Sprints. Yeah. Awesome. So it can be, um, that's, you know, running, you can also do biking or swimming or any number of functional movements. And the cool thing about HIIT training is that there's so many different variables that you can play with. Um, and the definition is not very precise. It's basically any style of exercise where you have periods of increased exertion and then periods of rest or recovery in between. And generally the goal is to try to get those intense intervals at a heart rate, at least 80% of the max. I think usually we try to push it higher to 85 or 90%. Um, and those intervals can last anywhere from 20 seconds, like a Tabata interval, or it can be a few minutes. And then the same thing with the recovery, it can be, you know, a minute or a few minutes and it can be complete rest, or it can be just a lower intensity, um, exercise. So there's, that's the cool thing about it is there's so many different ways that you can apply it and keep it really interesting. Is there any way to relate it directly to brain health? Like we, we expect to have improved cognition with head mm -hmm. training. Yeah. Well, initially, so people have been using this style of training for hundreds of years, but I think more recently it became popular when we started to see it used in athletic performance. So I think it was the 1950s. We started to see runners, Olympic runners using this for their training. And it has been studied a lot for athletic performance, but it's really only more recently, I think in the last 15 years or so that we've started to apply it more clinically and brain health, I think even more recently than that. Um, and there's a couple of reasons that it's advocated. One is it's just more time efficient. So people are always, you know, saying, I don't have enough time to exercise. This kind of throws that excuse out the window, um, because you can get more training done in less time and oftentimes even more effectively. Um, but interestingly, people also f seem to find HIIT training more enjoyable, which I was surprised to hear because I think if any of you have done it before, I'm normally not really excited about doing a really intense workout. I know it's going to hurt. I think you guys called the session sweat and pain. So it's not always um, fun while you're doing it, but I think that the feeling, you know, you feel this increased exertion and afterwards you feel like you really got a good workout and you're, you know, doing good things for your health. And I think, I know I personally have subjectively felt a lot of the cognitive benefits um, has anyone else experienced that too? Or like you like to do it before work or as a break? Um, I know I always used to do it just intuitively before I knew about any of the science behind it as breaks for studying or before a big exam or something like that, because I would be able to feel like I could focus a lot better. Um, so that's the reason why it's, why it's now studied a lot more clinically for brain health. And really, I think in the last 15 years, it's been a lot of focus on the cardiorespiratory fitness, on the cardiovascular benefits and on the metabolic health benefits. So that's where we have most of the research. Um, and that really translates well, especially into things like stroke and dementia. Um, so we know for cardiorespiratory fitness, we're seeing when you compare HIIT training to moderate intensity continuous training, you're getting about 
a half a met improvement over just doing, you know, regular moderate intensity um, training, which is significant because we know every met is associated with increased survival. So, um, so we know it improves our, our cardiorespiratory fitness. And then we also know that it improves endothelial function, vascular function more, to a greater degree than moderate intensity continuous training. We also see improvements in blood pressure, specifically in diastolic blood pressure when you compare the two um, modes of training. Um, and then a lot of metabolic improvements. So to a greater degree, we're seeing improvements in, you know, more favorable lipid profile, lower LDL, higher HDL. We're seeing better improvements in insulin sensitivity, decreased inflammation. Um, and so overall, we're seeing this picture of we're reducing all these risk factors for stroke, which is obviously something that we all want to do really important. Um, but not only is it for prevention, but also it's been studied for recovery from stroke. So um, especially we're seeing increased improvements in motor function, gait instability, and then because of the neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity benefits of high intensity interval training, we're also seeing greater improvements in stroke recovery. So if you um, especially start doing this within the first two weeks after a stroke, you can see greater improvements. They did a really cool study of uh, taking patients who had recently had a stroke, doing some motor learning with them, and then doing just one bout of high intensity interval training. And the patients who did that high intensity interval training then were able to retain those, that motor learning better 24 hours later. So taking advantage of, you know, the increased BDNF and the increased neuroplasticity of high intensity training can help these patients recover faster after stroke too. So primary prevention, also recovery, also probably secondary prevention from stroke. So what, um, what amounts of hits is required to get some of those goals that you were talking about, some, some of those cardiovascular benefits, like the MET increase, for example? Yeah, I think... In, in most of those studies, it's, it's looking at like protocols over a period of weeks and doing it a few times a week. So pretty quick. Yeah. 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 And, it, and I think every, like we're learning now, I mean, every little bit of exercise is making a difference right. when you look at those mortality curves and everything. So I think any amount is going to be beneficial. So the question that's coming uh, into my mind right now is why and how? So there's clearly mm -hmm. those benefits. Um, and as a former pro athlete specializing in this, you have a lot of credibility, but you're also a Cleveland Clinic trained physician. So could you talk a little bit about the mechanism of mm -hmm. why you get those benefits from high intensity interval training? Yeah. So it, it makes, you know, we, when we think about exercise in general as sort of a hormetic stressor, it just makes sense to think about if you're going to do it at higher intensity and have these repeated um, hormetic stressors, you're going to get an overall greater response. So it's a lot of the same mechanisms that we see for exercise causing, you know, a lot of great brain health and cognitive benefits, but we're just seeing it to a greater degree. And so when you break down the mechanism, you have sort of the hemodynamic aspect of it. You have the molecular changes that are happening and then the structural and functional changes. So from a hemodynamic perspective, you think about high intensity interval training, you're doing, you know, your heart rate is faster. You're exerting yourself more. So you're having this greater pumping function of the heart, increased cardiac output, increased stroke volume. Um, you're perfusing your tissues better. You're bringing in more oxygen and glucose. So especially to the brain, that's going to be really important. And then um, because the heart is pumping harder and faster, you're also then putting increased mechanical stresses on your arteries. 
And they measured those shear stresses are greater in high intensity interval training workouts. And because of that, you have greater oxidative damage like the reactive oxygen species and reactive nitrogen species. And later on, you're going to have greater increased um, nitric oxide production, which is going to cause favorable adaptations. Just the, the stresses itself is going to cause favorable adaptations to the vasculature and the, the blood vessel walls. Um, and then you have upregulation of all the genes that are going to cause, you know, decreased inflammation and antioxidants and neurotrophic factors, things like BDNF and IGF-1 and VEGF that are going to cause all these great benefits that we get from exercise over time. Um, so BDNF is one that's talked about a ton in intense exercise because it does correlate with intensity. So we know BDNF is a neurotrophic factor that's going to increase uh, neurogenesis and synaptic function, helps with memory and learning. And we see that when we compare high intensity interval workouts to just a moderate intensity continuous training, we get greater production of BDNF, which is awesome for our brain and for our body. And when you study it in, um, in animals where you can actually measure the levels of BDNF in the brain, you see greater levels of BDNF with higher intensity exercise. And then in humans where it's harder to measure in the brain, but you can measure the systemic levels of BDNF. Those are also going up with higher intensity exercise. So you have all these molecular changes that are happening. And then over time you have the neurogenesis and the synaptogenesis, you have increased brain volumes and you have increased function, um, especially in certain regions like motor cortex and um, the hippocampus. And so you can just think of it as like, it's all the great things that are happening with exercise, but it's happening in a more intense way um, repeatedly. And so you're getting a more potent hormetic response over time. So you have, you know, increased perfusion of the brain, you have decreased inflammation, more neurogenesis, and then um, improved cognition and um, decreased incidence of disease. And it's a lot, there's a lot of other sort of like brain health disease applications too, besides just stroke. So um, vast, you know, talking about dementia too, a, a large portion of dementia is related to vascular function and metabolism. So you know, it also makes a lot of sense. We're seeing exercise in general is great for dementia prevention, but maybe high intensity interval training is even more beneficial. Um, and cognitive performance too, just looking at, you know, young, healthy people, we do see when you compare them head to head, that high intensity interval training is going to result in greater cognitive improvements, especially in certain domains. Um, and, you know, like I said, I've experienced that subjectively. I think probably a lot of you have too, um, if you're doing it. Um, and then Parkinson's disease is another big one too. So that's where, you know, there's been tons of research on exercise and Parkinson's, but when they again compare high intensity interval training to moderate intensity, they see even more potent effects. So, you know, decreased disease progression, improved quality of life, um, increased neuroplasticity, um, that's all happening from getting this more potent, um, potent stimulus. And then mental health is another big one too. Um, so you know, again, these are all things where we know exercise has tons of benefits, but if we just look at comparing high intensity to more of a moderate intensity, we see some greater benefits. And if we're seeing greater benefits in all the different domains, like cognition and quality of life and physical health, that's going to help with the mental health conditions too. So depression is one where I know there's a few studies that are showing improvements in depressive symptoms with high intensity um, over moderate intensity. Other ones are still being studied. Um, ADHD is another interesting one where 
Um, there was one study of young boys with ADHD and they randomized them to either a moderate intensity training three times a week for three weeks or high intensity for three weeks. And in the kids who were doing the high intensity, they actually had improvements in attention. They had improvements in some motor function and then their caregivers said they had better quality of life. So that's always a plus too. Um, so I think, you know, we know there's so many great benefits of exercise. We know there's so many great benefits of exercise to brain health. Um, and then, you know, just comes down to trying to actually tease out and compare the benefits of, of the higher intensity versus moderate and how much additional benefit are you getting? So you mentioned words like hormetic stress and uh, free radical damage, and you're talking about those things uh, using stress and that in, in good terms, because you get a mm-hmm. response, but there's obviously a dark side of that. And uh, potentially overdoing it when in medicine with anything, any intervention, we always look at benefits versus the harms and yeah. outweigh it. And so if you have something that has a really uh, big benefit, there's also probably a fair amount of risk with it. And we know there is some risk mm-hmm. with high intensity interval training. So how do you minimize that risk and still get that massive benefit? Yeah, I think especially when you're talking about someone who's sedentary um, or hasn't been working out a lot, it's very scary to think about going into a high intensity interval training workout. Um, And I think, you know, coming from a CrossFit background, I think a lot of people are super intimidated when they first see um, CrossFit or, you know, what, what maybe um, they imagine what CrossFit might be. But I think, so when you look at actually the research of, of high intensity interval training being implemented in clinical populations, so we have the most in cardiac rehab. So patients who have a coronary artery disease or heart failure, and they're doing high intensity interval training as part of their cardiac rehab. And actually the, the um, negative outcomes really aren't that different from high intensity versus a moderate intensity, but this is obviously a very specific population who's being monitored really closely and has been screened. Um, but when you worry most about someone having an adverse event like a MI um, or sudden cardiac death doing exercise, it's usually someone who's very sedentary and then is suddenly asked to do something very intense. So you think of the, you know, the person who's really sedentary who then has to go out and shovel their whole driveway of snow. So the key is really in ramping up really slowly um, and doing it in a way that, um, it makes sense for the person based on where they're starting from. So starting first with low intensity or moderate intensity and gradually over a period of time, working up in terms of volume and intensity of the exercise and having the appropriate supervision, especially if it's someone who hasn't done, you know, much exercise before. And then I think you also have to be really careful about people who maybe have been sedentary for a long period, but they previously were very active. So these are people who maybe were like high school or college athletes, but they haven't done anything for 20 or 30 years. So they can be very intense mentally and they know what it's like to push themselves, but maybe their body's not ready for that yet. And so that's someone who does really need a lot of supervision to kind of hold them back initially until their body catches up and they can um, work into that intensity too. Can you give us an example of what that uh, initial exercise might look like, like coming from a sedentary perspective? Yeah. Yeah. I would start like, if it's really sedentary, I would start with just walking, you know, and you can even do intervals with walking. Like first, maybe it's just a short walk and then you gradually increase your distance. And then maybe you start doing like a little bit of faster walking mixed with slower walking. And then gradually maybe you start jogging or you start incorporating some biking or some other low impact that's going to be better for them. Um, but like I said, there's so many variables and you can really, you can play with this in so many different ways that, 
you can start super simple and super basic. It could be someone who just, you know, does a stationary bike for a few minutes during commercials on TV and then they, um, um, and then they rest while they're watching TV. So you can start it very slow, but then you can quickly ramp it up. Obviously people here are probably going to get bored doing that. <laughs> I think it's Matt mentioned this earlier, but it's really easy for people to do too much. Is yeah. there a way to monitor? I mean, like, so first off, is there a ceiling? Like how much is too much? Like mm-hmm. just no matter what. And then, and how do you figure out what the right dose is for you, I guess? Yeah. I mean, there definitely is too much. Like, like we said, this is a, it's a stressor. And so without the right amount of recovery in between, um, you can definitely overdo it. And I think it's obviously different for every person and different based on, you know, your previous training and your background and where you are now and the other stresses that you have going on in your life. But I think you just have to use data. Like you go by how you feel, but you also have to use data, like wearing a whoop or an aura ring or something like that, looking at heart rate variability, looking at your biomarkers, um, all these different numbers to identify any signs of overtraining. Yeah. And you get, I think you get to kind of know yourself a little bit too. Like you could sort of subjectively follow this, or if you're really dumb like me, you really need to monitor it. I, before I had an aura ring or whoop, I would train as hard as I could until I broke and got sick for a while or injured and I'd do it again. So uh, if you're somebody that has that type of mentality, then uh, a measuring device with your to watch your HRV and your recovery and think can yeah. be super helpful. And I think you see like myself coming from the CrossFit world and looking at what a lot of the CrossFit athletes are doing. It's easy to look in and see people in whatever sport you're following training for hours a day and being really good at it. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is they're training for hours a day, but they're also resting for like the rest of their day. They're not also having a job and having a family and doing a million other things. They're not going to medical school while they're doing it. Right. Right. Yeah. So not the smartest, (laughs) it's the smartest approach. Um, But but yeah, so there's, you know, if you're going to have a lot higher volume of exercise and a lot higher intensity, you also have to put that same amount of attention into your recovery in order for your body to be able to handle it. How many of you went through medical school here? So that last comment from Mike was because Julie was uh, second in the world at the CrossFit Games while in medical school. So you remember how intense medical school was. So it's kind of crazy. <laughs> what questions do you all have for Julie before? Yes. That's a good question. Is there a set, is there a target heart rate for a sedentary ramp up? What was the question? Yeah, that's a great question. So especially if someone's starting being completely sedentary, I would not go all the way into like a 80 plus percent. I would start with a more moderate intensity first and sort of build that base. And so maybe going into like 50 to 70% of a max heart rate. And then over time starting to push it a little bit higher and for first for shorter periods and then making those higher intensity periods, maybe a little bit longer. How would you suggest someone calculates their max heart rate without? I mean, the easiest way is just 220 minus the age. That's a kind of easy go-to one, but there's lots of calculators out there. Yeah. The question is for everyone online. How do you cycle hit into your weekly routine? Yeah, I think it depends on the person. And I think like what Mark was talking about was really cool how there are some people who might adapt better to hit and they might do more of it. And then other people might adapt better to other types of training. So it depends on the person. 
Um, I'm again, coming from my background in CrossFit, I'm a really big fan of trying to incorporate everything and be super time efficient, especially now. So like, I love this idea of doing Tabata intervals or incorporating functional movements into HIIT training. So I pretty much, that's mainly what I'm doing is, um, HIIT training most of the days that I'm training. And then I may have like one or two days where I do a long run or something like that. But, um, if you can do hit intervals and incorporate functional movements, then you're getting, you know, you're working on the cardiovascular benefits, you're getting your heart rate high, but you're also then incorporating some strength training, functional movements, um, agility, all of these other um, factors that are really important in that one workout, which is super efficient for me. You've got a lot of experience, like fitting those workouts in a really small time periods. Do you have any recommendations for just like quick workouts people can do if they only have a few minutes? Yeah. Um, my favorite one that I started doing during my clinical years in, in med school was just waking up in the morning and doing five 30 burpees, like first thing out of bed. It wakes burpees. you up. Yeah. It really gets you up in the morning. Um, but I mean, burpees are great because you can do them anywhere um, or just doing some air squats or something like that. You can do them anywhere and it will, you know, you just have to do a few of them and it will get kind of get you going if you're falling asleep, studying or doing whatever you're doing in the middle of the day. Um, so I love burpees and I think maybe we'll be doing some burpees here shortly. We'll see. Yeah, and as a, as a normal human, non-pro athlete, super busy, the way I think about hip training in my life is it's by far the biggest bang for your buck. So when I'm thinking about my week, I want to get two or three hit workouts in and everything else is just extra bonus for me. And if I get nothing else done, then I feel like I've got 90% of what would be a really well-designed program just because you got so much there and I build just around that because it's so important. Has it been studied in TBI patient Ooh. population? That's a good question. I have not seen if it has. Do you guys know? I don't know specifically yeah. hit. I mean, exercise, yes. Yeah, it's hard to tease out because there's so many things that exercise, but then, and also if HIT training has been studied, but also if it's been compared to like a moderate intensity to see if the additional impact. But I haven't seen anything. More questions? question is for the joint health and supplements and training what recommendations do you have yeah i think always my philosophy is always try to go with food first but i think um the like as far as joint health i think fish oil or at least making sure you're getting enough omega-3s can be really helpful um and then trying to figure out what where the the joint problems are coming from? Is it because there's some inflammation from, for some other reason that needs to be addressed? Um, but as far as joint health, I would say that, I mean, there's a lot of other supplements that are used, things like, you know, Boswellia and turmeric and things like that that can be helpful. But I would also ask like, why is there a lot of joint pain going on? We got one more question online. We should ask that and maybe do our activity, but Mark was uh, interested in fasted HIIT exercise. Mm. Any any research you're aware of for that or I haven't opinion? read a lot of research on it, but I am a fan. I yeah. like doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know research on it either, but yeah. my hit workouts are always much, they're much better fasted just from a subjective. And I think it depends on the person. Like I've talked to a lot of people who really 
like have to eat something for breakfast before they do a HIIT workout, but I like, I like doing it fasted. So as we said earlier, we like to do more than talk when possible. We had the yoga session. We're going to do something slightly different than <laughs> yoga now. So we're going to do a challenge workout. Uh, so it's 1130. Uh, lunch is coming out in about 15 minutes or so. So if you want to decrease your glucose response to your lunch, then do this workout with us. So what is the workout? So we think just to make it simple, so even people online can participate too. Julie talked about burpees. So we're just going to do burpees. So uh, how long and how many? So we, were, we had talked about 10 minutes of one minute on, one minute off. Do you think you still want to do that? Unless you have good? a better idea. <laughs> I think, that's, I think that, that works. I think it's a good idea. Uh, it's painful. <laughs> so we should define what a real burpee is. And what you're going to do is you will do them and count. And maybe we set a, get a timer got up a, here. I got a timer. Um, Julie, define, so because we can define a real burpee in a couple of ways. Tell us what we're doing. Yes, at the end this is very show. important if there are prizes involved. Um, should I demonstrate? Please. Yeah. Okay, so real burpee. So we're going to take, I'm going to turn the air conditioner on, uh, and then we're going to do this in like five um, minutes. Um, and if you're online, you can time it yourself. I've got a timer up here that'll beep. Um, if for whatever reason you guys can't hear the beep, then basically when Matt and I start is when you start. But we'll ch there should be a good beep here. And we're turning it up just a little bit. All right. All right. Is everybody in position? All right. So when I, when I start this timer, there'll be a 15-second countdown before it starts. And then there'll be three beeps before it says to start. Okay. And I'll try to give everybody a yell, too. All right, 15 seconds.
Guys, thank you for participating in the challenge. Even if you don't get a signed copy uh, as, a, as a win, just participating is the success. That's the winning. Uh, we've also, seriously, 
Strong work.